John chapter number 8 in your Bibles. John chapter number 8. And this will be the third and the final installment uh, of these messages entitled Free Indeed. Uh, Last Sunday morning and Sunday night looking at uh, the first two messages under this theme here of being free indeed from John chapter number 8. In the words of our Lord Jesus Christ in verse number 32, uh, where he said, And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. In verse number 36, If the Son therefore shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed, or for real, or truly you will be free. And we considered in the context of Independence Day here as Americans uh, the importance of the spiritual freedom and liberty that we have because of Jesus Christ our freedom from the bondage of sin, our freedom last Sunday night from the blindness of religion, and then this morning, freedom from belief that is just shallow or surface. And it's an important distinction that I think it's uh, valuable for us, necessary for us to make as believers. Notice, if you would, John chapter 8, verse number 30. John chapter 8, verse number 30. And as he spake these words, many believed. On him, Verse number 31, then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him. So he's addressing professed believers. But then notice verse number 31, the middle of the verse. If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered him, we be Abraham's seed. They were thinking that because of their physical descent as the people of Israel from Abraham, that that is what secured for them for uh, eternal life. That is what made them okay with God. Someone said years ago, there isn't any such thing as a second generation Christian. Okay, You might have been brought up in a Christian home, but Bible Christianity is an individual choice of faith that a person makes to trust Christ as Savior. Nobody's going to heaven because their parents are Christians. We be Abraham's seed. We were never in bondage to any man. How sayest thou you should be made free? Of course, they were at that very moment, they were saying that under Roman oppression. Verse 34, Jesus answered them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, whosoever committeth sin, it's talking about the habit or the lifestyle of sin, living in the grip of sin. That person is the servant or the slave of sin. And the servant abideth not in the house forever, Their relationship is temporary, is the idea. It's expendable. But the Son abideth ever. The logic of the Lord Jesus Christ here is this. He's the Son. He's in the family of God forever as the Son of the Father. And if you want to transition from being a servant to being a son to get in the family, it is through Jesus Christ alone that a person gets into the family of God. Okay. Verse number 36, Jesus' summary statement. If the Son, therefore, shall make you free... You shall be free indeed. Freedom indeed. What a tremendous blessing it is for those of us that know Christ as Savior. Let's pray and then we'll consider this third message this morning. Father, thank you for how you've stirred in my heart for the things that you've taught me throughout the the work of the preparation this week. And I pray that you'd help me now uh, with the amount of material that is here to know what to leave unsaid and what to say. And uh, Father, this will help us immensely in our Christian lives if we'll get it today. And so I pray for help. Give me wisdom to make the message clear and plain. And I pray that all of us would be listening to the Spirit of God, the divine teacher, as he seeks to illuminate our minds and hearts to the truth of your word. 
I pray these things in his name. Amen. Uh, I want to experience this freedom indeed that Jesus talks about. I want to experience it to its fullest degree, and that's my desire for every one of you too, to experience freedom indeed to the fullest degree. As we look at the big picture of the liberty or the freedom that Christ has provided for those who trust him, for sure we are speaking about the liberty that he gave to us through the work of his cross When a person trusts him as Savior, they are delivered once and for all from the penalty of their sin. Romans chapter number 8, verse number 1, Paul said, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. We've been delivered from the law of sin and the law of death. And so we have freedom indeed from the penalty of sin the moment that a person trusts Christ as Savior. Later on in Romans chapter number 8, verse number 21, the Apostle Paul would refer to the coming glorious liberty of the children of God. He was referring to a future freedom or liberty when we would be set free from the presence of sin, whether through translation to heaven or death and then translation to heaven. There is a liberty that comes when we are freed once and for all from the presence of sin. Even as believers, we now live in the presence of sin and we still have the old man and we battle with the pull, the temptation to sin, the struggles with that. As the songwriter said, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. It's there. But don't you look forward to a day when we're delivered from that? And Paul says in Romans chapter 8 and verse number 21, he called that the glorious liberty of the children of God. When I'm given a glorified body that that sin has no appeal to, the sickness that is the consequence of sin will be removed and I'll be in an eternal body given to me by God. So we have one aspect of liberty. I've been delivered from the condemnation, the penalty of sin at the moment of salvation through the work of Christ. There's future liberty yet to be experienced that Paul refers to as the glorious liberty of the children of God when I'll be glorified and removed from the presence of sin. And yet I want you to understand something. The freedom indeed that Christ speaks of includes a provision for liberty and freedom right now. Right now. The freedom that Christ speaks of is for right now too. Many believers know past deliverance at the moment of salvation. They anticipate future freedom at the moment of glorification. We're living in this big gap now. And there are many Christians that struggle with, can I use this terminology, closing the gap and living in the freedom indeed that Christ has available for us right now. The freedom from sin, the power of sin, the dominion of sin in our lives, freedom from fear. Doesn't it stir you to think about the fact that the moment I trusted Christ as Savior, if you're a believer, the moment you trusted Christ as Savior, the Spirit of God came to live inside of you, and from here, for the rest of eternity, you will not walk alone. Through the Spirit of God, the Lord Jesus Christ comes to us, and I walk with the shepherd and he with me for the rest of time and eternity. I've been given right now Freedom from one of my greatest enemies, the face that I shaved in the mirror this morning. We talk about the three enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil. 
And I would say, any of us who are honest would say that in many cases our biggest enemy is me. My own sinful appetites, my own flesh, my own longings, my own selfishness, my own failings. The Apostle Paul, one who would, many would argue is the greatest Christian in Scripture, many would say of him that that was Paul's description. And yet Paul in Romans chapter 7 and verse number 24 said, Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? The old man still hanging on. But the freedom that Christ offers gives me progressive freedom and deliverance from myself, from others. Peer pressure. The pressures of job. The pressures maybe of unbelieving family members. The pressures of this world weighing in on us. H.G. Wells, the British author of all kinds of genres of literature. Interestingly enough, for some of the sci-fi stuff that spooks me out that he wrote, he said this, he goes, many of us, our ears are so tuned to our neighbors that it drowns out the voice of God. But in Christ and the freedom he offers, I'm delivered from that. I don't have to be weighed down by the pressures of others. There's freedom from religion, counterfeit forms of liberty. It will give a person some temporary sense of satisfaction, yet it does not save or fully satisfy. And so we're living in this gap between the liberty from the penalty of sin and the coming liberty from the presence of sin. But Christ offers freedom indeed right now. Where is it found? Where is that freedom found? I want to offer to you this morning that the freedom that Christ offers, this freedom indeed that he offers now is found in the word disciple. Disciple. Do you see what Jesus says? Look at it. Verse number 31, Then said Jesus to those which believed on him, If ye continue in my word, then are ye my, what? Disciples indeed, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. The word disciple, the key to experiencing freedom indeed in this gap right now. The story is told years ago of a man by the name of Reuben Smith who had been in prison for many years. And unbeknownst to him, he was given a governor's pardon. On the day that the warden stood before the hundreds of prisoners in the gathering, he called out the name, Reuben Smith, you've been given a governor's pardon. Come receive your pardon. Nobody responded. The warden called again, Reuben Smith, where's Reuben Smith? You've received a governor's pardon. It's available. Come and get it. You're a free man. Nobody moved. Finally, the warden noticed a stirring right down front and center, and he noticed a man among all the other prisoners incredulously looking over his shoulder all around like this and looking back up at the warden and looking over his shoulder and the man said, what is your name? The warden said, what is your name? He says, well, my name's Reuben Smith, but I thought it had to be another one. The freedom that we have is ours. But I'm afraid that many times as believers, there are folks who have trusted Christ as Savior who go through life not living in the full experience of the liberty that is available to them right now. There's the story told, too, of a great benefactor 
who came across the path of a poor man who had lived hand to mouth his entire life and he wanted to be a help to this poor man. And so the wealthy benefactor opened a bank account in the name of this poor man, gave access to this poor man and promised him that on a monthly, amount, monthly basis he would deposit enough money in that bank account for that man to have all of his needs met and more. And whatever wasn't spent at the end of the month, it stayed in the account and he could accrue it for later on in life. And the benefactor told the poor man, everything that you need is now available. You don't have to worry about anything for the rest of your life. After several years, the wealthy benefactor came back into town and found the poor man still living in his poverty. Went to the bank and found out that only once or twi twice in a very small amount this man had drawn on the bank. And the benefactor went to the poor man and said, everything that you need is available here in this account. But you're not using what has been made available to you to be free from poverty. And so to us as children of God, I want us to understand this morning that this freedom indeed that Christ offers is available to us right now. And accessing it is wrapped up in the idea of being a disciple. Experiencing freedom indeed right now comes through discipleship. Jesus didn't say go into all the world and make believers. He said go into all the world and make disciples. What is a disciple? A disciple is a learner. A disciple is a follower. As you look at the disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, they left all and they followed Christ. They would model his life, and even after he was gone, they carried on his teachings, they carried on his lifestyle, the importance of discipleship. I want you to notice as we think about freedom indeed being accessed through discipleship in this gap in which we're living, that discipleship launches, this is first of all, discipleship launches from the pad or the foundation or the starting point of belief in Christ. That's the starting point. We're not minimizing belief or faith in Christ. And as a matter of fact, faith is an ongoing part of our Christian life, our disciple living as well. But discipleship, the key to experiencing freedom indeed, even in this old sin-cursed world right now, is launched from the pad or the foundation or the starting point of belief. 1 Corinthians 3 and verse number 11. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is who? Jesus Christ. Romans chapter number 10, verses 9 and 10. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man, what? Believeth unto righteousness. And with the mouth, confession is made into salvation. And we continue in faith, but discipleship really begins with belief in Christ. Freedom indeed begins with belief in Christ. That individual choice that a person makes when they recognize, I'm a lost sinner separated from God because of my sin. There is nothing that I can do to save myself, but God loved me and the rest of this world of sinners so much that he sent his son Jesus Christ to die as my sin-bearing substitute in my place on a cross and pay my sin debt, a debt I could not pay. And when his body was placed dead in the grave on the morning of the third day, he showed himself to be the Lord of life and death when he raised victorious over death. And now through all that he has done, he offers the forgiveness of sins, he offers the gift of eternal life, and he offers me his perfect righteousness. He took my sin and gave me his righteousness. What an exchange. 
So this issue of discipleship that accesses freedom indeed, living in this gap between past deliverance from the power of, or the penalty of sin and future deliverance from the presence of sin, this gap is filled by discipleship. Discipleship is launched from the pad of belief. Now, for the sake of time, I'm just going to mention this. I don't want to go into great detail here. But Jesus would have us to be warned of faulty forms of belief. It's important for us to recognize this. Even in Jesus' own experience, just keep your hand here and look at John chapter 2, the early part of the book, John chapter 2 and verse 23. John 2 and verse 23. Now when he, speaking of Jesus, was in Jerusalem at the Passover in the feast day, what does the next statement say? Many what? Believed in his name. When they saw what? The miracles which he did. But notice what Jesus does here. The Bible says Jesus did not commit himself unto them because he knew all men and needed not that any should testify of man for he knew what was in man. This is just one verse that is representative, and this is key for us. It, it applies as much today in the 21st century as it did in the 1st century, and that is the need of being warned of faulty or deficient forms of belief. There are different levels of belief that Jesus interacted with in the Gospel of John in particular. One of the things that struck me as I looked at John chapter 2, John chapter 7, in verse number 31, look at that if you would. John chapter 7 and verse number 31. And many of the people believed on him and said, When Christ cometh, will he do more? Here's the mention of miracles again. Will he do more miracles than these which this man hath done? Look at John chapter 10 in verse 41 and 42. John chapter 10 verses 41 and 42. And many resorted unto him and said, John did no miracle, but all things that John spake of this man were true, and many believed on him there. Look at John chapter number 11 and verse 45. Then many of the Jews which came to Mary and had seen the things which Jesus did, believed on him. But then notice what some of these people that believed on him did. And some of them went their ways to the Pharisees and told them what things Jesus had done. They went to Jesus' enemies. And the indication is this, is there are different kinds of belief and it's important for us to filter all professed belief through the scripture. Okay. There is sincere belief and that's where discipleship that leads to freedom indeed in this life begins. But let me caution us about faulty forms of belief. For instance, what we might call impulse belief. I've just categorized them. Some might add more than this. Impulse belief, that is these people who believed by way of a fad, if you would, or fascination because they saw the miracles, they were fascinated, or because they were there when Jesus broke the bread and the fish and multiplied the food. Jesus even said, some of you are following me, not because you really believe, but because you got your belly filled. Okay. So the importance of avoiding impulse belief there's what we might call inconsequential belief. That's a, a profession without a transformation. James would warn of this. Faith without works is dead. 
There are some who might even give intellectual belief. I believe that's some of what Jesus is confronting or referring to in John chapter number 8. We also know from looking at Scripture there's such a thing as imposter belief. Jesus had Judas Iscariot and his disciples. If ever there was an imposter, it was him. I think about Acts chapter number 8, a man by the name of Simon called Simon the Magician. I like how Peter interacted with him, and this helps us here. I want you to get this. Peter, when Simon the Magician, who had gone through the motions of belief and had even been baptized, when Peter came on the scene and confronted him, Peter didn't say, I know that you're in the gall of bitterness. He said, I perceive that you're in the gall of bitterness. He is acknowledging, Peter is human limitation. You and I interact with people who call themselves believers. You understand what I'm saying? On a regular basis. We may not know, but I'm sure glad for 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse number 19. Nevertheless, the foundation of the Lord standeth sure, having this seal. The Lord knoweth them that are His. And let everyone that nameth the name of Christ. You profess to be a Christian? Paul said, depart from iniquity. And so... Discipleship, which is the key to freedom indeed right now, according to Jesus' words in John chapter number 8, begins with or launches from the platform of sincere belief, dependence in the work of Christ and what He has done for us. But that is just the beginning point. No more than I would mix up all the ingredients of cake batter and set it in a bowl on the counter and say, I've baked a cake. Would I say a person's believed in Christ and that's enough? Belief is to enter us into, in this life, the pathway of discipleship. So discipleship, which is the key to experiencing freedom indeed right now in this life, launches from the starting point of sincere belief. But I want you to notice, secondly, discipleship, this key to experiencing freedom indeed in this life right now, in this gap, if you would, between the past and the future of our experience of freedom in Christ, discipleship, number two, lives in the Word of God. Discipleship lives in the Word of God. Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse number 2, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the Word that ye may, what? Grow thereby. Take the illustration of a baby's desire for its mother's milk and let that be an example of motivation for how the child of God is to desire the sincere milk of the word of God. Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 6, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount said, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be what? Filled. Okay. Jesus said in John chapter number 8, notice it if you would in our text, verse number 31, then Jesus uh, said to those Jews which believed on him, if ye, what's the word? Continue in my word. Then are ye my disciples indeed. If you continue. The word continue means to move in and stay there. It means to take up residence. Move into his word. Live in his word. Take up residence in his word and stay there. I've noticed in this passage of Scripture, and I'm going to just show you a few verses that illustrate this. Christ's emphasis on the Word of God and on His speech 
as the document and the guide for experiencing freedom. Spiritual freedom. Freedom from the dominion of sin. Freedom from fear. Freedom from others' pressure in your life. Freedom from yourself. Freedom from religion. Notice, if you would, verse number 31. If you continue in my, what? Word. Look down, if you would, at verse number 43. Verse number 43. Jesus says to these Jews who had some of them professed belief in him, but then we're talking about killing him. Verse number 43, why do you not understand my speech or my preaching? Even because you cannot hear my what? My word. Year of your father the devil and the lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own for he is a liar and the father of it. Verse number 45, and because I tell you the truth, ye believe me not. Which of you convinceth me of sin? One of the points Jesus is making here is this, is you can believe everything that I say. His word is inerrant. Notice verse 47, he that is of God heareth God's words. Ye therefore hear them not. Why? Because you're not of God. And so there's this emphasis on the word of God, continuing in the word of God, living in the word of God. The apostle James, the half-brother of our Lord, would say in James chapter number 1 and verse number 25, Whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, speaking about the Bible, Whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful here, but a doer of the work, this man shall be what? Blessed in his deed. The disciple who would experience right now freedom indeed in this life lives in the word of God, is listening to the word of God on a regular basis, whether in daily devotions or in the gathering of the local church or good preaching and teaching on the radio. He is looking intently, she is looking intently into the word of God and learning it down in verse number 51. Verily, verily, I say unto you, if a man keep my saying, it's the idea of keeping an intent watch upon, he shall never see death. The disciple is longing for the word of God, leaning on the word of God, not his own understanding, not her own understanding, and then they are living out the word of God by faith. Jesus confronted these unbelievers and he said to them in verse number 39, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. Abraham didn't earn his salvation by his works. What are the works of Abraham? The Bible says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. But James uses him as, as an example through the transforming power of Abraham's belief in God that was manifested by works of obedience Obedient actions that were based on the word of God. A life that was a living carrying out of the truths and the teachings of scripture. Uh, A couple weeks ago, my brother Michael walked into my study. I was sitting there doing some work studying. I remember what it was. He walked in and he goes, I love the smell of your study. I said, what does it smell like? He said, it smells like old books and coffee. Old books and coffee. I'd never really noticed it. I'm in there enough. I guess I've just gotten used to it. But I will tell you this. When I leave my study, I have yet to have anybody say to me, Pastor, you smell like old books and coffee. Okay, now, maybe some of you have thought that. and You've just never said it. But, okay, so I'm in an atmosphere 
that smells like old books and coffee, but I'm not carrying that smell out with me. But last night, I came home, and I walked in the house, and Gracie and Elena were making supper. And the house was filled, in particular, the kitchen filled with the aroma of buttermilk fried chicken. Yeah, oh, that's right. It was good. And then Elena made this wonderful batch of creamy mashed potatoes and green beans. And uh, Tom, we had uh, fresh blueberry. We picked blueberries yesterday. Tom picked some for us, too. Fresh blueberry muffins last night for dessert. But Grace had been in the aroma of the kitchen, that buttermilk fried chicken, frying it. Well, after we'd finished supper, everything was cleaned up. And I was uh, getting ready to leave the house to come here for our men's prayer meeting at 8 o'clock. Gracie came into the bedroom, out of the kitchen, came into the bedroom, and we gave each other a hug, and as I was hugging her, I smelled on her clothes buttermilk fried chicken. I said, man, you smell good. Buttermilk fried chicken? You get it? In the atmosphere of buttermilk fried chicken in the kitchen, even when she came out of the kitchen, she carried the aroma with her. Jesus said, listen, if in this life, in this gap between the past, deliverance from the penalty of sin that was accomplished at your salvation, and the future deliverance or freedom from the presence of sin, living in this gap in between, being a disciple is the key to experiencing the full measure of freedom indeed. And the, one of the ways that you do it is it's launched from the platform or the pad of belief in Christ, and then you live in the word. Continue in my word. Then are ye my disciples indeed. You carry the aroma. I asked myself the question when I was preparing this. When I walk around after having been in the word, do I carry with me the aroma of the word? Can people smell the word of Christ on me. Thirdly, and I've got to hurry. Thirdly, so notice this. The key to experience freedom indeed in this life, in this gap, for the disciple who's longing for this experience of liberty now, it's launched from the starting point of belief they live in the word, but then notice what Jesus says here. Verse number 31, again, if ye continue in my word, get my word, live there, then are ye my disciples indeed. And notice this, there's a sequence taking place here. Ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. See the sequence? Get in the word, that makes you a disciple indeed, for real. Okay, Not just a believer but a disciple indeed. And then as you're continuing in the word and a disciple indeed, then you'll know the truth and the truth shall make you free. So thirdly, the disciple and discipleship leads to the truth. Jesus said, continue in my word. That's what part of what defines you as a disciple beyond a believer. And then ye shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. What is the truth? Can I just say it simply this way? The truth is God's explanation, God's mind, God's answer for everything. God is called 
the God of truth. Jesus said in John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but me, by me. Jesus said twice in John 14, 15, and 16 that the Spirit of God is the Spirit of truth. And in his high priestly prayer, John chapter 17, he said to the Father, sanctify them, talking about disciples, sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. Preacher from Texas years ago had a man come to him and say, I just want to know what is the truth. And as he said that, the man was holding his Bible like this to his chest. What's the truth? I just want to know the truth. And the preacher very bluntly thumped the Bible in the man's chest and said, that book right there, everything from cover to cover, that's the truth. I remember the first iPhone that I got years ago. I ordered it here, had it delivered. We were going out to see my parents at Christmas time. I think it was an iPhone 4. Siri was in its developmental stages at the time, if I remember correctly. And I was telling my dad, who was still using a massive Nokia phone with all the buttons on the outside. I was describing this iPhone to my dad and Siri, and dad was like, ah, he's kind of skeptical. And I said, no, dad, you can push this button and hold it down, and this voice speaks back to you called Siri. And you can ask it pretty much anything. It'll give you the answer. Dad was like, yeah, right. I pushed the button. Dad said, ask it the square root of and some number. And I did. I asked it the square root of whatever the number was. And Siri gave me three answers, and my dad's jaw dropped. And then jokingly, with a little glint in his eye, he said, ask it where your mom keeps all the money. (laughs) Discipleship. Being a disciple indeed. And continuing in his word, the truth, helps me to know God the Father who is truth, Jesus who is the truth, the Spirit of God who is the Spirit of truth, and guides us into all truth, the word of truth. You understand, child of God, that you and I have in these resources, we have the truth. The answers to all questions. What is my purpose in life? And I'm just being very general here. Where's the line between sinful pleasure and legitimate God-blessed pleasure? What is to be my view of earthly possessions? What is the practice of my life to look like? How am I to establish priorities? What about my future? I read yesterday about a woman who was right here in this area, in the Blue Ridge Mountains. And the work that she did in the early 1900s required her to pay close attention and up-close detail and study very closely, and it began to take a toll on her eyes. Her eyes began to hurt her, and she began to have blurred vision issues. And so, as the story goes, she went to her doctor, and though uh, optometrics and everything was, ophthalmology was not as developed back then as it is now, the doctor told her, what your eyes need is rest. She said, but I've got time constraints on these works that I'm doing, and I can't just pull away and go rest. And he said, okay, okay, here's what I want you to do. He said, a few minutes, several times each day, he said, I want you to get up from your close work, looking at all the details. I want you to get up, and I want you to go to the window, and I want you to look out that big picture window in your house, and I just want you to look at the mountains far away. And as she began to do that, get this, as she looked into the distance and looked at the mountains far away, it actually rested her eyes from the strain of constantly looking up close, and it helped improve her vision. 
Every once in a while through this book, we just need to take the far off look. And when we take the far off look, it rests our eyes from the strain of everything that's right in front of us in this life. And it helps us to interpret and to understand the things in the middle of where we're living right now much better too. I'm going to close. I got another point, but I'm just going to finish right here. The key to experiencing freedom indeed is this idea of discipleship. Discipleship is launched from the platform of belief. It lives in the word of God. It leads to the truth. My fourth point that I'll just give to you is this, is that it builds a love for Jesus and a likeness to him. Jesus talked about the importance of loving him in this passage. A disciple is someone who looks like their master. And as I continue in the word, the Bible makes it clear. As I continue in the word, I come to look more and more like Jesus. And do you know that there is liberty that comes with that even in this life? I'm with Jesus. You know what? That sets me free from all kinds of decisions. Because I'm with Jesus, there are a lot of things I don't do. Because I'm with Jesus and he's with me, there are a lot of things I don't say. And that sets me free. I think about this. When I go back to northeast Missouri, in the county where I am six generations deep, I've had people look at me and they'd say, you're Dan Dietrich's son, aren't you? They can tell by the look. I've told you before, my parents teased me. Neither one of them saw me born. And when I would misbehave in particular when I was younger, they'd tell me, we don't know for sure that you're ours. We actually think we found you under a truck at a truck stop. Okay, It was a joke. But all I have got to do is I look in the mirror and I'm like, no, 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 no. I belong to them. The way I walk, the facial features, the way I say things, it's obvious I come from them. And do you know what that does? That opens doors for me when I go back to Clark County, Missouri. People are like, oh, you're Dan Dietrich's son? Come on in. Yeah, your dad and I went to high school together. I was your dad's sixth grade teacher. Boy, do I have some stories. And it opens up. There's liberty, there's freedom that comes because of my likeness to my father. Let me say this, in this life, as a disciple of Jesus Christ, as a child of God, as a learner, as a follower, my association with Christ, my likeness, growing likeness to him, and my evident love for him as it is played out in my daily living, there is liberty in that. And so, closing the gap, closing the gap in the two bookends of freedom indeed, past deliverance at salvation from the penalty of sin, future deliverance from the presence of sin, but experiencing now freedom indeed from the power of sin. Launched from the platform or the pad of belief, living in the word of God, closes the gap and allows me to experience the full measure of freedom indeed right now. That's what I want. That's what I want for all of us. And by the way, it has a profound impact on the world around us when God's people are living in the full experience of that freedom. When people who are still in the bondage of sin look at God's people professing Christians and not just professing belief, but living as a disciple, what a profound testimony it is. December of 1944, 
the Germans decided they had one last great chance to win World War II. And they instituted what we now call the Battle of the Bulge. It would last for one month, one week, and two days. From December of 44 to January of 45. When it was finished, over 700,000 Allied troops would be used. Can you imagine... Can you imagine if that bulge, and you can look at pictures of it on a map, that bulge uh, should uh, do it this way, moving, moving westward out of Germany into Belgium. The Nazi army's last attempt at a breakthrough offensive to split the Allied troops and thereby intend to defeat them. Can you imagine? We can only imagine how different our history would be if the bulge had turned into a gap. 700,000 Allied troops stood in the gap and kept it at a bulge and then would push the German troops back eastward. And it was the last opportunity the Germans had to win the war. I shudder to think of how history would be different if there were not those who had stopped that bulge from becoming a gap. We're living in a gap, if I can say it that way right now. And we have the opportunity to experience freedom indeed by being disciples indeed. Dads, what an opportunity for us in home, in the home and at the workplace to stand in the gap and be a disciple indeed. Moms, young people, in a world that is pressing you in all different directions, imagine if 700,000 Christians would say, I'm going to be a disciple indeed. And we're going to stand in the gap and bridge it with freedom indeed. What an opportunity for us to experience real freedom right now. Father,